In the world of recruiting, some people have seen it all. They built recruiting teams from the ground up, hired hundreds of people in the best companies in the world, developed their expertise year after year. I'm Robin Choi, and I'm on a mission to collect their learnings. These are their stories. Hi, everybody. I'm today with my good friend, Paul Church, from the Anibo Group and from the podcast Talent and Growth. And we'll be talking about how to find a job in this environment for people looking in talent acquisition. So very happy to have you here, Paul, today. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to speak to you, Robin. So maybe can you start with your own experience, where you come from and why you felt that, well, this is very obviously a very timely topic, but why you felt it was important to, to talk about it today? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, my friend. So, yeah, a quick background on myself. I, I worked in agency recruitment for about 15 years or so um, in 2020 during the first lockdown. I had a bit of a, an epiphany, thought about what I wanted to do in my life, and I decided the agency life would be no more, and actually I'd be um, happier on the other side of the fence. So I set up a, an embedded talent business with my business partner, uh, Kevin Clifford. So we are a bolt-on for businesses for their talent acquisition teams, so very much working in-house. Alongside that, I, as you rightly said, I run a podcast called Talent and Growth, which is really a community for TA people and HR professionals where we share knowledge, share ways to do things, help each other get a bit better. This topic is really important to me because I suppose it was spurred on by the fact I had four or five conversations in one week with friends and people in my network who have incredible profiles like heads of TA, global HR directors, and they've been, they've been laid off and they were now struggling to find work and they couldn't believe it. And I couldn't believe it because they're fantastic. And that hits home because I'm embedded in this community, um, but also because I've been through this myself back in 2008. I worked for a business, got made redundant. It was a very dark time in my life. It took me a while to work out what to do. And uh, in the end, recruitment found me, the recruitment life, and I ended up, you know, ended up opening a lot of doors, but it was tough. So I can emphasize with those people who are out there. And uh, yeah, I think it's really important for the TA community to to help each other when times are hard. And at the moment, they're a bit hard. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they will. Yeah, a lot of people will feel you and will understand this right now. So where do we start? How do we get started? What's the entry point? The entry point for me, first of all, is to give yourself a break and give yourself a little bit of a boost because it's tough out there. It's demoralizing when you've been for a redundancy or you can't find work. And it's even tougher when you can't get those interviews. And it's really easy for us to look inward and think this is all about us and we've done something wrong and we're not good enough. And the message I try and tell people is that they are good enough and we need to be pragmatic that this is a very turbulent market. And the reality is, with talent acquisition, that when times are good, we're looked after and we're paid well and uh, there's lots of opportunities. But when at times even start to look like they're getting bad, then it's see you later and, and businesses cut us very, very quickly. And so that's the kind of life we chose. So I suppose my first message to anybody out there who has been laid off or is struggling to find work is it's not about you. It is a tough time. The market will change. So just, I suppose, try and stay positive with that and believe that you know you will get a new opportunity and it'll be even better than the, than the one you had yeah and it's i agree with you that it's impressive seeing uh all those people like a uh, higher suit with a ton of prospects with 10 years of experience in, in the best companies and they're struggling to find work as well so everybody's going through this uh, like 
not everybody, but a lot of people are going through this. So maybe a side question. I don't know if that's something that you thought about. You said that yourself uh, kind of discovered recruiting while going through being made redundant a few years ago. Would you recommend that people working in talent acquisition just change industries altogether because there is a lot of um, replicable skills that could be applied in, in sales or marketing, for instance, industries where it's not as hard right now? So would you recommend people stay in this industry on the, this type of role? Or would you recommend they just change altogether or maybe even outside of uh, of sales, marketing, other roles? What's your take on this? Yeah, that's a great question. I think whatever I think, I think people will do that. I think unfortunately what's going on right now will drive people out of the industry. We saw it in 2020. A lot of good agency recruiters, a lot of good in-house recruiters got cut. And those second and third year people never came back. And so what happens in 2021 when companies want to hire again, they can't find TA people, they're paying recruitment agencies lots of money and the market goes the other way. So I think that will happen, whether I think it should happen or not. I think look, I think you learn a lot of skills in TA, which means you're absolutely going to be competent enough to look at other things like sales and marketing. But I think actually a better way to go would be to really think about what else you can add to your skill set to make yourself even more hireable into your next job. And I think you can be very, very successful in TA, even in the tough times, if you make sure you're relevant in all areas of the business and get yourself involved in as many areas as you can. All right. So it's more about training then and getting a stronger recruiter than just uh, changing jobs. That's what I think. All right. What areas would you recommend people focus to upskill and, uh, and get trained on? Yeah, I think as we come out of this, whatever type of period you call this, I think the questions in the boardrooms and from the, the C-level executives will be around how can we do things better, save money, do more with less? And that's going to be a common question. So I think as you and I have talked plenty of times around the use of AI and the knowledge around how to use AI and how to streamline your processes and use AI as a tool for saving your business money and, and being more efficient, as well as delivering better candidate experiences or creating better content. I think as much knowledge as anybody can get around those elements is going to help you get your next job. So the number one thing I'd be upskilling in is finding out where is AI taking us? What can it do for businesses? And how can we implement it? And how can I become an expert in that area? So in my next job, I can come to the table with three or four pieces of software or ideas that are going to help that business do even better. All right. So focus on AI. And you're right. That's probably the number one thing. And people are also worried because, you know, you, you never know if your job's not going to be replaced by an AI. So my opinion, it's not going to be like this. Rather that recruiters who are trained on AI will replace recruiters or not because you have to get up to date on the latest tools. But uh, yeah. All right. So first thing would probably, what's interesting is number one, you realize that it's not so much you than the market and everybody's going through this. Number two is use this time to really train and upskill and not so much go right into searching a new job, would you recommend? Or would you say that it's going into search mode, but at the same time training? I'd be doing both. I think I'd definitely be keeping up to date with all the happenings and all the, I mean, you know, things are happening every day in AI and automation around new pieces of software that are going to make the world a lot better and our lives a lot easier in TA. But um, I would start the conversations happening and I think I probably would be looking to my network to see what might be out there. And I think what I love about TA and what I love about LinkedIn as well is it's a really helpful place and a helpful group of people who do want to aid people in getting the next job. And we see it all the time. 
someone puts a post out saying, I'm looking for this, I'm finding it difficult. They get a thousand likes from people inside the network and outside the network. And that can be how they open up their next opportunity. So I'd certainly be looking at uh, op- using our network to try and find the next opportunity, putting what we're looking for, asking people for help as well, and hoping we get shared and tagged and commented on. And that expands us to the beyond our secondary connections, doesn't it? There is an interesting study that we, we discussed in the, just before the recording. It's an actually a pretty old study from 1973 from a, a guy called Mark Granovetter, who talked about the strength of weak ties when it comes to finding a job. And he showed that, especially for white-collar roles, you're way more likely to find a job through your weak links or second-degree network. So as you say on LinkedIn, not your first-degree network, not your colleagues, not your friends, not your family, but rather second-degree network. How do you tap into that second-degree network? Do you send them messages on LinkedIn? Like practically, so you mentioned posting on LinkedIn. That's one thing and trying to create some momentum, get likes and comments so that people see you. There's just so many times where you can do this. You can maybe post once a month or not more than this. So how do you recommend tapping into that second-degree network? Yeah, I think as well then, as well as the posting, if you're looking for jobs that are out there or companies that you'd be interested to work with, just look at who your mutual connections are and ask for recommendations. Simple as that. Be very, be, I think you need to be, be quite bold and willing to ask for help. And I think sometimes people feel a bit scared to do that, but just probably remember that you would help someone else if it was the other way around. So expect them to give you the same grace. So I'd be looking around at companies who I'm interested to work with, seeing who the mutual connections are and looking at jobs that are out there that look good. But of course, I can apply to that job. But of course, it'd be even better if I could get an intro into the right person in that business. So what do you say exactly? You say, hey, Paul, just apply to that job. I saw you were connected with uh, that person in the company or I saw you, you work there. What do you say then? Like how do you organize the, the message that you sent to them? Yeah, I think if I could simply be saying, look, again, I think human nature is that we want to help people who ask for help. So I'd always start off something like, like that by saying, I wondered if you might be able to help me. I'd really appreciate it. I'm looking for my next opportunity. This is a company that I'd really like to work for. I see you're connected to Robin Choi. Would you mind giving me a little intro to him? I'd really appreciate it. All right. Okay. You make it very short. So you don't emphasize like, I thought I would be a good fit for that or that reason, or I thought that, oh, I'm very excited about that company for that or that reason, right? You keep it very short and to the point. I think I'd keep it short and to the point, make it easy for someone. I think the, the fact you're not selling to them. I think the, the fact that you're asking them for help has been very clear using that word, that they will be helping you. Um, I think that should be enough. Okay. And how about people that you know, or like your first degree connection, they're not necessarily connected to a company, but they might be able to help. How would you recommend engaging with them? I think look, there's no harm in just sending people, you know, direct messages saying, do you happen to know of anything out there that might be right for me? This is what I'm looking for. Finding a little bit difficult here. And I think, look, this goes back to my agency time. This is business development, right? Sometimes it is a numbers game. It may be you need to send out 100 messages to people you kind of half know, just saying, I'm looking for some work right now. This is what I'm looking for. I wondered if you might be able to help me. Use that word help again uh, in helping me find my next opportunity. I'd really appreciate it. If you ever need help from me, I'll be happy to return the favor. I got a few people reaching out to me uh, with personalized messages and just saying, okay, if you're hiring yourself or if you know somebody in your network, uh, because obviously I'm connected to a lot of people hiring and building recruiting teams. And yeah, and that uh, I've always enjoyed it. So I'm not always able to help the people, but as long as the message is personalized, that you that you 
feel considered as the recipient of the message, then absolutely you want to help. So that's also quite rewarding when you're able to help someone find a job. That's super rewarding. I know that's also the reason why I got into the recruiting industry in the first place. But I think everybody thinks like this. So um, yeah, don't be afraid of engaging, reaching out, sending short messages, personalize the message, make it exciting for the person, share the information, the resume, whatever may be useful. So there is another thing as well you didn't mention, maybe because it may be obvious, but um, your first resume is your LinkedIn profile. So I would say probably a good advice is just to take time revamping your LinkedIn profile changing your profile picture, adding other stuff. Any advice on this? Yeah, 100%. I think LinkedIn profiles are absolutely the window into who you are personally, professionally. So you need to make sure it is up to date. I think you know, the idea of the, the paper CV is quite archaic these days and, and social networks are often the way companies decide whether we're right for them or not. So I'd be certainly treating the my experience part of LinkedIn as my chance to really show off about what I've achieved in my previous businesses. And whenever I'm giving CV advice, he says in inverted commas, I, it's always, I always tell people to focus on not what they did, but what they achieved. You know, What impact did they have at that company? How did they manage to save money? How did they make work process more efficiently? What awards did they win? You know, Were they employee of the year or whatever? And that's the sort of thing we should absolutely have on our LinkedIn in, under our experiences. Plus a snapshot maybe in the about me as to who they are as a human being what they're passionate about, what they care about, what are their values. So absolutely, if you don't have a LinkedIn, which is fit for purpose, you may struggle because that'll be the first place that employers look. Yeah, people will be biased. So you better know those biases because everybody's trying to fight against biases, but maturity of companies are still very biased. And one of the things, for instance, is if if you just have more information on your LinkedIn profile instead of just having the role and the company just had a, like three to five bullet points without it being too fluffy or or too BS, but just, just add more information will make people trust you more. And anything that you can add as well, like yeah, personal touches, share a bit of your personal life as well, it will make it easier. Get some recommendations as well. Make sure you've got some on your profile. I think it, it can look so almost odd if people don't have any. Um, I used it when I was an agency recruiter. I'd always get recommendations from people I'd work with, clients and candidates. I'd use that as my business development tool to win over new businesses. And it's the same sentiment when, you, when you're applying for jobs. If I left a job, I'd make sure I got some recommendations from key people in that business who were clear advocates for me. Uh, and I'm really proud of those. So make sure you get some recommendations on there as well. Yeah, that's a good one as well. Because Nobody really thinks about those recommendations. It's like um, it's a really a very easy way to differentiate. Any take on setting yourself as open to work? So I think that's probably a no-brainer on LinkedIn. But any take on the banner, the green thing on the profile picture? There is a lot of pros and cons. There's a lot of debate on this. Do you have an opinion or data or recommendations to share? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I've seen a, a few conversations on LinkedIn around that. I mean, my personal opinion, I'd be interested to hear what you think, is that there's nothing to be ashamed of by putting that open to work banner and you should absolutely do that. And, and in fact, it should work in your favor because you know recruiters or TA people may be just scanning search results. And if they see that green banner, they're going to make it the reason to contact you. I think absolutely should have that open to work green banner. What do you think? I used to recommend people not to have it in a different market like a year ago because companies have that, that strange 
again, lots of companies are biased. So as a candidate, maybe there's another thing as well, train on the biases, understand what are the, uh, the company's biases and the recruiter's biases. My experience is about a year or two ago, when the market was super hot, companies would say, okay, why do that person needs to put up into work? Is that because he or she is struggling to find a job? Why do they have to go to that thing in the end? And also because it wasn't as hard to find a job and to initiate conversations. So it was probably, again, different market, easier to get conversations started. My belief is it's easier to get more conversation with the up and to work banner, but your conversion rate will drop will the up and to work. So you have to find the balance. If you know you just need to get more conversations with more processes, with more companies, you probably want to use that up and to work banner. If you have enough conversations, enough processes, and you just want to work on the conversion, then you probably don't want to have it. So that's how I think about it. Now, in that market, for people working in talent acquisition, I would 100% recommend people uh, use the banner because it's all about getting more conversations, more intros uh, with companies. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get your point. And I think, yeah, I think there is perhaps... Rightly or wrongly, there is perhaps a stigma, or there was certainly more so. Oh, why does this person need work? You know, why, why they? You know, which which is which is probably unfair in itself, but it is a reality. That's super hypocritical. Yeah, and the company you could think of the same of the company. Why is that company uh, still hiring? Why is that role still open after a few weeks? So yeah, but yeah, there is a stigma. You have to know it exists. Uh, it's there. It's a probably you know, there's no like a, obviously a very bad thing, but then you have to deal with it. All right, so that's about like generating those initial conversations. So there is publishing on LinkedIn, engaging with your network, first and second degree network, ask for recommendations. There is another thing I would recommend people Google it. It's called double opt-in intros. The way it works is if maybe I used it the first time we talked, I was like, okay, can you intro me to Paul? So I'll send a blurb to a third-party person. We'll send you the information and say, hey, Paul, uh, here's... Robin's information. He has this podcast called A Players. Do you want to talk to him? And then you reply, yes. And then the third party will intro us. So it's the easiest way to do it. It's not, I won't like a send. I'm not sure if it's clear to people listening. So basically, I use that third party to make an intro. But first, the third party checks that you're okay with the intro. So again, Google it, develop the intro. It's a very good way to work with uh, intros and referrals. Okay, so now... We have tons of roles. We have initial conversations, or we can also apply to jobs. So what do we do now? How do we apply to jobs? How do we engage with people working in the companies when you apply to a job? Would you recommend engaging with the person to say, hey, I applied on your job online. So what's your advice on this part? Yeah, 100%. I think if we're just applying to an advert and sitting back and waiting for those interviews to come rolling in, I think we're probably going to be disappointed. So I had a breakfast with a director of talent acquisition the other day at a tech marketing business, and he put out an advert for a mid-level recruiter, and he got 400 responses over a weekend on LinkedIn. So a huge amount. So how do we stand out? Well, I think we need to go back to really approaching people in that business after we've applied be it the TA person who, who's put out the advert with a, with a connection and a message request and uh, a message saying, you know, why you'd be really interested to work with that this business and why you'd love to have a conversation with them. Absolutely, maybe look at who the stakeholder might be, that line manager, do the same thing. And we need to get the balance right between not being too overbearing, but I think just giving a bit of 
personalization as to why you actually want to work for that business. And that may be the difference between you standing out against the other 399 people who might have applied for that job. Yeah. There's uh, another thing that I keep hearing is that people are seeing more and more applicants using ChatGPT or generative AI to generate cover letters, messages. And actually, that really shows. And it's very easy to see that a message has been generated by AI, mostly because it lacks substance. It's just like it's not personalized. It doesn't say anything personalized on the company. So yeah, my recommendation would be not to do it and rather focus on what makes you human and, and personalized. That's also my recommendation to companies using uh, ChatGPT. You can use it to improve your wording, to improve your cover letter, to make you uh, save time, be faster, but don't just generate something and press on the button. What do you think? Did you hear about this as well? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's been happening a lot, um, cover letters and CVs and things like that. And I think, look, we, we talked about it around the use of ChatGPT. It's um, if you purely use what it gives you on the first answer and ask it for, to create all the content, it's going to stink at ChatGPT and you're going to be able to realize that really quickly. But if you have carefully crafted a message and you're thinking, I wouldn't mind just getting an opinion or maybe some improvements on this, then absolutely have a look at ChatGPT, put that in it. It may refine it slightly for you. But yeah, I, I think you know people are getting, there is a lot of AI generated uh, resumes and, and cover letters coming in, which, which look obvious. And there is something that you can do and that ChatGPT will never be able to do is to explain why you want to work with that specific company, why it's relevant with your experience, and just telling that story in a way that only a human can do. Uh, so I would absolutely recommend on emphasizing your human strength and spending time on this rather than, than trying to go for the numbers game. 100%. All right. So once you apply to the job, you already generated a lot of uh, opportunities engage with your network, trend on new technologies, how do you then maximize your chances to be hired in the end or to find a perfect job? Well, I think it goes back to, again, if we, we go back a couple of steps as well, what we talked about in terms of helping a business understand how you're going to be able to improve their processes, their efficiency, and probably most importantly, how that you might be able to help save them money. Could it be because you've tied out a new sourcing software like a gem or sourceware, and actually that's going to be loads cheaper than LinkedIn recruiter or whatever, something like that, some actual ideas. So it actually would, I think throughout the process, if I'm working in TA and I'm, I'm getting to kind of second or third stage of a company, throughout the process, I'm asking as many questions as I can around how they actually do things. I'm making sure as I go through each stage, I've got a, an idea or a suggestion as to how they might be able to make things a little bit better or run smoother or do some things in a way which saves money. So I think it's really important to build up a plan as you go through that process that's going to make you seem really, really useful to that company who's looking to hire. All right. So you're almost building your own business case, just same as, uh, as when you're selling software and you're basically saying, okay, we're going to replace LinkedIn. So here's the savings that you're going to get. You have to do this yourself with yourself, basically. You're selling yourself using a business case. Exactly. And I think it's important we make sure we translate these metrics and this language from TA talk into the commercial talk, you know? So, and it's not necessarily going to be that important to a CEO what the time to hire is, but you might be bothered about what the cost per hire is. So making sure it's relevant to your audience, whoever you're talking to, breaking down those metrics or that that saving or that efficiency into language that someone even not in TA is going to understand. All right. And even though the market is bad, we still see people joining great companies and thriving in their jobs. So it doesn't mean that it's about market that you should take any job that comes through you to you and just take the first job. Any advice on how to pick the best company, questions to ask, 
where to source those, those companies if they're not in our network? I think for me, the most important question I'd be asking, and you're right, I think just because times are tough, you, you don't want to be going into the wrong company right now. And I think you've got to have a bit of pride and uh, feel confident enough in what you've achieved and what you're worth to a company to be a little bit picky as well. And I think the most important thing you need to ascertain when you go into a business is that they value and understand what your capability is. And a question for me to ask would be, when the hiring freeze comes, what will my role be? And to that, they may not know, in which case they may say, oh, what would you do? And, you know, and then you can start to, well, that's when I can work on your processes. That's when I can work on the culture side of things. That's when I can build stronger relationships with the stakeholders in the marketing team and the sales team so I can work with them better. So they should always understand that there's a role for you, whether they're hiring or not. They need to understand your work. So that'd be the first question I would be asking um, to make sure this company is the right one for me. You do want to address the elephant in the room right away because uh, so many people have been going through this. Any question on how to pick the best work environments, how to make sure that like the company values recruiters because there's a lot of companies that don't value recruiters or just see them replaceable. It's not that hard to surface this in the interview, but do you have any recommendations on how to, uh, to make it more obvious? Yeah, I think it's important to find out what the two, three, five-year plan that business might have for the TA or people department might be. If, if their only re- visible reason for bringing you in is that you've got, they've got five vacancies on the, on, that they need to fill right now and they don't want to pay recruitment agency fees, then that's probably a bit of a red flag. So I think you need to ask about what the long-term goals are for the business around the TA function. And I think that should hopefully give you a half-decent idea as to whether it's going to be the right company for you. Okay. So that reminds me of what you said before about building the, um, the business case If they have five vacancies, they just don't want to go through an agency. It's the easiest business case because you're basically saying, okay, you'd pay an agency this and you'd you'd pay me this. So I'll just save you that amount of money. But at the same time, that's not necessarily where you want to be because once those five jobs are closed, what do you do? Uh, So you you also have to think longer term with the business case. What are the main areas where people working in talent acquisition can make a business case for their hires? So you mentioned there is reducing agency costs that can be retained, that can be a placement fee, that can be RPOs, uh, daily RPOs. Usually all these will be more expensive than in-house resources. That can be reducing LinkedIn subscriptions. So using a CRM like SourceWall, Gem, like HireSuite ourselves as well, or other tools. So reorganizing different tools. What else would you do for the business case? Do you recommend going as far as saying, okay, basically... Even if the company is going bad, you're not hiring as much as before, which makes every hire more important than before. And what I'll help you do is I won't help you close 100 hires per year. I'll help you close 10, 15 hires per year, but I'll make sure those people are the most efficient, the most productive. And this will result in gains of X dollars, pounds, euros compared to if I wasn't here. Would you recommend going as far as this? I think that... Absolutely, as much evidence as you can give around how much money you might be able to save that business going forward. I think the example you gave is a really good one. But I'd also be talking about on these business cases, not just on the money you could save, but on how you can make things better. 
you know, look, think about things for, uh, is the content we're putting out there, is it inclusive? Is it attracting a diverse range of talent and customer perhaps? Have we got our hiring managers trained on how to deliver proper interviews? Are we looking, have we built a good inclusive culture in this business? So there's lots of things which TA can do, which go beyond just the hiring side of things, which you can make business cases for. So absolutely, I think number one question would be, how can you save that company money? But also look at how you can make things better in a variety of ways as well in the company. Yeah, there's probably when you go through that process, you can also research the company, go go on Glassdoor, read reviews and say, okay, basically there is a big problem with the interview process because this testimonial and this testimonial, how can I help you uh, solve this? All right. Uh, thanks a lot, Paul, for sharing all those tips. One final word, piece of advice, recommendation for the audience. Yeah, I think the, the final thing for me is going back to the first point, which is keep your head up, stay positive. This is a tough time. It will get better. There's already signs in the market that, that things are going in the right direction. So just use this time well. Don't be hard on yourself and things will get better and your next opportunity won't be far away. Thanks, Paul. Great words. Cheers, Robin. Hey there, this is Robin. Most of our listeners come from word of mouth. So thanks a lot for your support. And if you enjoy the players, please keep on sharing it with your team and friends. Stay tuned for the next episode. And if you can't wait, follow me on LinkedIn for more content on recruiting. Talk to you next week.